in a world crying out for a top 10 show. John Roca and Matt Nost are here to bring you the top 10. Take it away, boys. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Top 10 Show. I am John Roca. And I am Matt Nost. Uh, and uh, we've come to you with another brand new episode this week. And we understand, you know, things have been a little crazy this week um, uh, out in our world and in our in our country specifically. But, uh, you know, uh, the Top 10 Show does not take a week off. Uh, but we adjusted our um, topic this week to address kind of what's going on in the in the world. So we thought we'd count down the top 10 protest films here for you today on the show. Uh, Matt, how are you, man? How are things on your end, dude, this week? I mean, weird. Yeah, right? As if as if this, this year hasn't been strange enough. <laughs> as everybody has pointed out numerous yeah. times, like once coronavirus set in, people are like, so let me get this straight. So far this year, we've had, you know, World War Three almost happened, and this yeah. almost happened, and this almost, and then this individual died, and now we have this pandemic, and there's another financial crisis after, right. you know, 14, 15 years ago, or whatever the case was. Yeah. And now we have complete social unrest, justifiably. Right. But right. in the midst of all this, like this fucking year, man, you know, aliens were officially recognized as existing, at least unidentified <laughs> flying objects. That's right. That, that didn't even really rate with people. Scientists discovered evidence, NASA scientists discovered evidence that there more than likely is a parallel universe, and they have proof of that. But <laughs> nobody gave a flying fuck because 2020 has been a gut punch, man. This shit. It's worse it's, than a gut punch. It's been like you got knocked down and they it, they keep kicking you in the stomach every time you try to get back up. So you don't have the air in your body to get back up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course we're not making light of what happened to, to George Floyd. We're just saying uh, in a figurative sense, it feels like all of us have been, you know, kind of had the wind knocked out of us. uh, And every time we try to stand up, something else comes along like a speeding train and knock us over. So yeah, very, very true. Perhaps it was seeing the physical manifestation of that, that, Mm. feeling that we were all experiencing subconsciously and yeah, just, maybe. just once again, you know, yeah. how many times, like I, I saw a Chappelle clip from one of my favorite specials of his. Yeah. Talking about the fact that, you know, white people are just coming around to police brutality. He's like, did you guys think it's just a little suspicious that every time they found a dead black person, there was crack sprinkled on. <laughs> it's a Let's great bit. Let's it's get out of here, Johnson. Bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I laughed at it at the time and the yeah. truth was it was just as true then uh, as it is now. And that's sad, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm four decades into living in this country and this problem, which I assumed was going to slowly go away when I was a kid. Right. Still persists. Still yeah. here. Well, that's why there, you know, that's why so many people are calling for a systemic change. And look, I think that's, what's got to be important here. And I stress this in a couple other shows. It's like, uh, this is about changing the culture, changing the systemic approach to this situation. This is not about going 
you're to blame. You need to die. You're over. This is about, hey, can you stop for a second and just listen to what I have to say? And let me show you something. And just maybe, maybe we've been right this whole time. And there should be some changes. It doesn't mean that any of you have to lose your jobs. You just have to do your jobs a little bit better. You have to be more understanding. You have to be more uh, sympathetic to the situation. Uh, and you have to create an environment where people feel comfortable calling the police, not afraid to call the police. And that's all they're really trying to say. And it's extended out into art and everything else. You know, like the idea of Black Lives Matter is not just about, hey, don't kill me. It's about also, hey, how about some representation here that has some depth and complexity and is consistent and isn't just tokenism. So across the board. And so, you know, I think this has been building, you know, as Matt said, four decades in our country and longer. You know, it's been building up to this point since wow. slavery days. It's yeah. been about, hey, it was, can we be seen equal here? Yeah. Yeah. It was baked into the DNA of this country. Yes. True. Very true. It's been built upon. We've had a war over it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember when I was a, a kid. Yeah. And I had a babysitter. We were talking and the idea of a black president came up and I was like 10 or 11 mm-hmm. or something. And I remember him specifically saying, because it was the son of like one of the people that worked with my parents, my regular babysitter was busy or something. So he was watching us that day. Yeah. And he didn't say it with malice. He's just like, I don't think in my lifetime I will see a black president cut to, you know, 15, 20 years later, whatever the case was. And that had happened. Yeah. That kind of progress in the backlash <laughs> country to having a black president has been so fucking severe. Yeah. It's been mind blowing. I thought we were past. The vast majority of this, and sadly, it starts at the top down. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's it's just so it's so fucking frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even the one that it's directed specifically towards. Right, right, right. And it it makes me feel as a as a white guy, utterly like I I can't do anything about the change. I am just as outraged as you. That yeah. Systemic racism that is built into everything from the police onto financial institutions and education and everything else is rigged in certain people's favor. And you don't realize it until you see it. And now that you see it, it can't be unseen. And why are we lying about the elephant that's in the fucking room? Because shit in the corner and we can all smell it. We can. (laughs) And I don't understand how you can blind yourself to that kind of disgusting stench. This fucking odorous bowel of hell kind of smell mm. and uh yeah so it's been a fun fucking week that's <laughs> sure. yeah man i hear you i mean this is now more than ever the idea of comedy i think is essential this week i found myself turning more and more as you said to Chappelle stuff some of the eddie stuff uh that that sarah uh, uh a comedian that's online who does the trump invitations on tiktok she's been hilarious so like those are those little pockets of moments where I get to just kind of like detox for a second and just try to laugh again because it's so uh, terrifying to see some of the images out in the streets with the tear gas and the rubber bullets and the batons. And of course, there are looters and there are rioters who don't yes. necessarily uh, are, are, who are not necessarily behind the co- the original source of the cause, which is to protest the death of George Floyd and to uh, uplift the idea of Black Lives Mattering. And so uh, I understand that as well. This is not a one-sided thing. You know, there is violence. You're seeing violence on both sides. You're seeing some strange characters committing the violence on both sides. 
you know, so this has been seven layers of uh, insanity. And every time you uncover one layer, a new layer seems to pop up the further you dig down. You're just like, what, what the hell is going on? And now this morning, seeing all that black fencing being put up around the White House to keep protesters out because, uh, you know, the president, obviously, and all the other people are scared that those people are getting closer and closer. And last night, I think it was a million people last night who were outside or there was an exorbitant number of people who were outside the White House protesting. There were way more protesters who came back after they tear gassed them out. And that, mm-hmm. that is a hell of an encouraging sign that it doesn't matter what you do. We'll come back in larger numbers. You know, it's like a Spartacus situation, man. It's just like yeah. fascinating to watch. And all those well, people out there. So, you know, they put the So it's clear that the movement is, is a strong thing that's happening in our world, not just in our country, but in our world, marching marches yeah. all over the world. Yeah. I love that the White House is making the claim that they didn't use <laughs> – tear gas or rubber bullets and you're like okay well that's getting that's semantics right some shit that uh i can't remember the name of it but it ends in the letters it's like crowd clear oc and the oc stands for the stuff called oleoresin capsicum capsicum is the heat from pepper so basically you created aerosol pepper spray which Mm -hmm. then falls into the under the definition of tear gas because that's the all tear gas does or gets these symptoms from people. So technically it's not labeled as tear gas, but it is in essence, it is exactly what it is. Right. Tear gas, a priest or, you know, some of the clergy to get a photo op in front of a fucking church. And then today police security force from the white house is not allowing the Bishop to hold a vigil outside. And I just, Someone tweeted, I was like, I think that violates every clause of the First Amendment all in one. Yes. You're like, it's true. Yeah. Free assembly, free speech, exercising religious rights. It's like, no, 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 it's not for us. No, no, no. No, it's because it's all going to look bad on him. It has nothing to do with securing people or securing America. It has nothing to do with that. It's all about the fact that he looks like an absolute dope and everyone protesting him makes it even more, and that administration makes it even more uh, evident, and which is why he's reacted like a child and going, I'm going to get the active duty military involved here now. It's like a, it's taking a bazooka to an ant. And it's like, this is not, the, yeah, this not is not the appropriate for. response. Right, exactly. Let people, if you had just yeah. let people protest and come out and say, like, it's such, it would have been such an easy fix, Matt, if you just let, you just let the protest and say, Yes, George Floyd should not have been killed. We're going to take a look at this. This needs to change. Clearly, I'll have, get my people on it. If these people have a right to protest. There, it's okay. A thousand percent. If, right? And it's when you set the police out there and set the military out there, National Guard units, to stay. I mean, watching that thing at the White House, they're standing on the on the fence, the, uh, the National Guard guys, and they are just, re- some of them are like revving to shoot their weapons. And you're saying, that's not. That's not uh, America. It's not America. It's a dictatorship. Yes. Yes. And I I don't give two shits that it's Trump. I don't want any president to have this power because they're above the law. They're above the people who put them into this position. They're there to represent our needs and wants, uh, their own. I don't don't care if Democrat, Republican, Whig. It doesn't fucking matter who they are. yeah, I don't know. It's a whole it's just it's it's frustrating on every right. front. And 
it seems so overwhelming that I don't know where, but change has to start specifically somewhere. Yeah. So just inch towards a better future, something something better than this, because this is not good. This is not what, this is not the best of us. This is the worst of us. And you know, this is all happening, Matt, because, well, a a reason this is happening in such large numbers is because we're all home, dude. Everyone is home from the coronavirus or else there's no way these protests across the country would have the same number of people who would show up to risk losing their jobs to be part of these protests consistently day after day. You know, uh, these are people that you've uh, sent home and you've told not to come home. Companies have said, don't come to work. So these people are home and they're out of a job or they're furloughed. And so they're angry. And when they see things like this, you know, the lead up to this, they got furloughed unemployed, but the top 1% added like $420 billion to their net worth. In the exactly. Of this. How is that not a middle finger to, I right. mean, this is in essence, eat the rich. If yep. you ever read the full actual thing where it's, you know, hey, I need medicine. That's not my fault that you got sick type of thing that eventually right. opened his door and they look pale and, and, you know, and their cheeks are sunk and whatnot. Yeah. You look too good. You fattened yourself up on <laughs> four hundred nineteen or whatever it was. I know it was over four hundred billion, but Floyd was—it's you know, counterfeiting money is is what I read. Yeah, and I believe I read it was a twenty-dollar bill. Yeah, that's it. It'd, it'd be one thing if he was threatening other human lives, but it was right. like twenty. Worst case is a hundred. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and even even what you just said, I mean, like even if he was threatening human life, you still don't step on his neck and kill the man. There are recourses. Plenty yeah. of white people have threatened other people's lives and have not had cops put knees on their necks and kill them and suffocate them. So the idea that he could have done any, you could put him in any category almost, even serial killer status. They don't put their knees on the neck of these white guys when they arrest them. Yeah, so that's the them. thing at the end of the day. They don't kill them. Right, exactly. And so um, to, that's the, the frustrating part of it all to, to, to me is this is such a simple thing to see. And of course, one side of the political spectrum is twisting it because they just want to hold on to the rioters because they have nothing else to hold on to. Uh, and so they just want to paint the, the protesters as uh, pseudo rioters. Uh, and, you know, they are protecting businesses and blah, 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 blah. And look, there yeah. are some assholes on both. Of course. Yeah. Stirring up. Yes. You know, making this what it's not really about. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm not saying there aren't people, uh, you know, on the left that are looting or whatever the case sure, is. Sure, sure. There's some, I don't know what the percentage is, but it seems like the vast majority just yeah. want their voices to be heard. They're sick of crying out in the darkness. Why yeah. don't take a second to listen? Uh, because, you know, it seems like they might have a point. So, right. Uh, Matt, that's yeah. all the movement is asking, Matt, is for people to stop for a second yeah. and just listen. listen. That's it. Please, just listen. Listen to this. Yeah. Oh, you're outraged by this? Here's five in the past year. Here's yeah. here's the guy that was, you know, going through a neighborhood down south. You're right. Ahmed Aubrey. Not, yeah, not a month ago. Yeah. And two guys hunted him down in the fucking streets. Yeah. Over what, a TV? Yeah. It was something stupid. Something stupid. Right. Like, but like you said, that bleeds down from the top. When yeah. you de- dehumanize a particular race of people then you make it easier for the majority race to destroy the minority race because in their minds, they don't see them as actual human beings or people of worth, or they don't factor in that this, this death could cost, um, you know, real pain, real suffering. And they won't, and they'll won't feel guilty about it. 
And so that's that kind of thing. Once you dehumanize a certain race or section of people, it makes it easier. And by making it easier, I think the blood is somewhat on your hands indirectly, you know? So it's like, it's just madness all, all around, just madness all around. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, we don't know what the answer is. I know what is. you're saying that. I mean, that it's, it, it's tough to, to prove that. Oh, of course, of course. You know, course. without a shadow of a doubt. So right. to condemn someone of that without being able to do it is really difficult for me specifically. Yeah. yeah. Saying, though, there are, there have been some actors within all of this that are just, spouted they're fanning the flames in the worst yes yeah irresponsibly so yeah i think they won't be touched in their ivory towers but we've seen they have freedom of speech but if right but we've also fire in a theater there are repercussions for that there's there is you know freedom of speech but you don't have freedom of consequence from consequence rather and also we've seen this so many times matt if we're both students of history we've seen this this is when a country tips over into revolution economic distress the haves having way more uh, that, like, than the have-nots and a dictatorship. And when that starts to happen, the natural impulse of Americans is to revolt. And this is where I feel like we're marching towards that situation here if something doesn't happen. And that scares the living hell out of me, man. If he starts to say we can't vote in November for them, oh, they're already starting to you know, undercut the mail-in it. ballots thing, yeah. Yep, but they can't stop it. They, I hope so, man. I, I don't put anything past them now. Now, nah, legit, I legitimately, it takes way too long to set up all the different stuff to for an election. So the election mm. is happening, regardless. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, if that doesn't happen, then we are no longer a democracy. Right. There's too many people on both sides. Mm. On each side, yeah. uh, does not want to see something like that happen because then he rules by what. He's not an elected official. Not at that point. Yeah, technically, you have a four-year term at the end of four years. Right. So do we then have to have congressional act to extend his presidency until an election happens? Like, there's there's a lot of fallout from that. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see, but I will – I don't know. I'm willing to stake quite a bit on that. I respect that. Uh, God, I hope so. What a what – <laughs> way to start a show huh <laughs> well look is it's anybody still listening yeah i hope so <laughs> it's a protest films uh yeah. podcast so we're in the mood because we're we have the protest situation so clearly we're getting people in the mood to hear us count down these films and yeah that was just you know you guys tune into us every week you all rather tune into us every week and whatever's in our mind comes up organically and that was in our mind over the last 15 uh, 20 minutes or whatever if we've offended some of you you know this uh, I, I can't say we apologize but if we've offended yeah. some of you it wasn't the intention it's more yeah. a matter to have the conversation between matt and i because when we get the chance to catch up with each other it's good that you know our views. Yes. Agreed. I mean, I'm willing to hear another viewpoint. If you want to reach out and discuss to me and, you know, discuss with me and, and you know, potentially John. Yeah. Fine. I'm willing to have the discourse, but know that this is how we feel. And yep. there you go. You know, we're not going to, we don't shove it down your throat every week. Uh, it's, you know, not what this show is, but this is where we stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Uh, um, all right. Anyway, so we're going to get into t- today. We're going to count down the top 10 protest films. I think this means a, a film that has a protest in it or a film that is centered around a protest. So all of that was what I factored into my list. I don't know how you came up with your list, Matt. Um, but do you want to tell them how the show works? Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. I've like five things I got texts about right before we started. Oh, no worries. Um, 
once we set a topic, we go our individual ways and create personal top 10 lists. Show back up here. I do my bottom three. He does his bottom three. I do my next two. He does his next two. Then we trade one apiece. Once we have revealed our personal top 10 list, we create the shows between the two of us. Boom. All right. Uh, um, okay. So how, how did you uh, arrive at your protest movie? Well, yeah, like I was saying, I, I, for me, it was about a film that either had a protest in it or a film that's centered around a protest and the repercussions of that protest. Um, and it isn't just a marching protest. There were other protests, other versions of yeah. protests that I factored into this. So, all right. Um, okay. So my number 10 yeah. reason it's 10, but V for Vendetta. Uh, all right. It's a slight punt, slight okay. punt, but yeah, good choice. What's your nine? My nine is Trumbo. Oh, okay. Go ahead, man. Uh, it's about uh, McCarthyism. Yeah here in the United States. And if you don't know what that is, the Red Scare, the Red Menace from post-World War II America, there was a, a, a congressman, uh, McCarthy, that went after, Charlie McCarthy, that went after um, anybody that was suspected of being a communist because we wanted to root them out because it's capitalism all the way here, USA number one. Mm-hmm. And then there was, uh, from that, deeming individuals would get, you know, Anyone deemed a communist could get thrown out specific jobs. And they came after Hollywood because they didn't want communists putting their propaganda out into pop culture Mm -hmm. and influencing people's opinions outside of capitalism. So McCarthy was holding these hearings and Trumbo um, was a writer in Hollywood and he was suspected of being a communist. So he was part of this blacklist. And it's a story about him going through that and continuing to work and eventually uh, Kirk Douglas reaching out to him because he wanted him to write Spartacus. Right. Uh, and, you know, seeing Trumbo work behind the scenes and there's, you know, it's, it's someone that holds a different opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. You have the yeah. freedom and ability to do that within this country. Yeah. So to be blackballed out for your beliefs, which are not in violation of any law just going through that it's, it's a departure from most of the rest uh, on the list. And Brian Cranston is excellent. The movie as a whole is good, but yeah. he's excellent in it. Cool. Do you see right. it? I have seen it. I, I I thought he was good in it. I I'm not the biggest fan of the movie. I thought it kind of some of the narratives I felt like were a little jumbled for me. But overall, I thought his performance saves the movie for sure. Uh, and Goodman is great in it as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I would say. Okay. Uh, what do you got at number eight? Uh, eight. Um, it's probably a punt for you, but Selma. Uh, what do I have, Selma? Oh, no, it's my number nine. Wow, higher on your okay. list. Interesting. Well, well it's pretty good. Yeah, V for Vendetta for me, you know, everything else is either closer to truth or is truth. Mm. Or based on a true story type of thing. So V for right. basically, you know, what could be. I can respect uh, that. Yeah. yeah, and Selma has more emotional resonance to me than Trumbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is about Martin Luther King. Uh, yeah. Here. Um, I don't know. It would be high. I wanted so much more from this movie. It's a good movie. It's a small movie is what it is. It's a good movie. It's just a small movie. And it could have had an epic nature to it. But the way um, Ava went about directing it, 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 you know, she went with David Oyelowo, not that well-known of a guy, an English actor. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think uh, Carmen Ajogo plays Coretta Scott King, also not really a well-known actress, uh, really. But whenever she shows up, always enjoyable to watch her work so and the way it's shot you know i think lakeith stanfield's in this too one of his first early roles as well but it's not like 
cast with Denzel or cast with, you know, yeah. something, something huge. So it's presented in a certain way uh, that is uh, on smaller scale. So it's not a big blow up film, but it is a very well-made film. Uh, and you know, like you said, resonant, very emotionally resonant, you know, watching that situation on the bridge and, yeah. and what happened there. And surprisingly, there haven't been a whole bunch of movies on Dr. King. Yeah. I mean, there was the series in the eighties with Paul Winfield playing yeah. him. And then there've been a couple other ones where people have played Martin Luther King. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know if there's too many uh, films that were made necessarily about Martha, Martin Luther King Jr. It's tough to tackle a subject like that too, Matt, because yeah. like he's such a uniquely, I don't know, just a uniquely special kind of person with a special kind of energy. I think Ayelowo did a really good job in this movie of capturing some of that at a younger age, but there's a, there's a calming presence with him that is tough to find uh, in most actors who attempt to play Martin Luther King Jr. Cause it's that combo of like calming presence, but also that aura of like, Whoa, like this kind of, you know, righteous aura, not in a negative way in the best sense of that word. And so it's, ter- it's difficult to find someone who has that right combo Kind of like Marilyn. I've never seen Marilyn Monroe done well, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it's just my opinion. I've never seen anybody really capture her sexual energy as well as her vulnerability and talent uh, and physical uh, uh, approximation as well. I've never seen anyone do that with Marilyn. And so I feel that way about Martha. It's tough to tackle it. But I thought uh, Ava did a fantastic job with this one. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe you do you know, like this movie because – Dr. King will be done again. Yeah. At some point, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, but like this or like Lincoln, like just take a sliver of time. Like the, the lead up to uh, the speech in mm-hmm. Washington, I have a dream. And just the build up to, I want to say I've seen something in regards to that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I, you know, I wanted more from it. That's why it's lower on my list. I think it's good. It just, I don't know. It reminds me of an excellent TV movie. Oh, fair. Okay. HBO okay. movie. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Boycott. Boycott is what they did with Jeffrey Wright, where he played Martin, a young Martin Luther King Jr. Um, but yeah, there's not that many. I'm looking right now. There's not that many films uh, about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So yeah, very interesting. Um, so that was your eight. That was my eight. What do you got? Okay. My 10 is Milk. Oh, that's a punt. Okay. All right. My nine is Selma. Uh, my number eight is uh, Norma Ray. All right. That's my number seven. Okay, cool. Uh, I just saw this film last year for the first time. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I thoroughly I loved it. I loved it. Like, I was, I thought it was going to be dated. You know, I'm not always the biggest Sally Field person. Uh, yeah. And then I watched it, and I was just blown away by that film and the um, on what she went through to try to make that happen, the protest that she did, and even that iconic moment that everyone's seen where she holds up the sign that says Union. Union. I thought it was going to be like, oh, okay, I see it coming. It built to it so perfectly that I was I was moved by that moment as if I was seeing it for the first time ever. And I loved that. Um, and uh, I can't remember the actor who plays the Union guy who tries to convince her. York? Yeah, yeah. He's a character actor who's been in a million yeah. things. Uh, I think he was Bo the Bridges out- is is her husband. Yeah, Bull Bridges. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I know you're talking about. I couldn't pull his name. Yeah, he's a he was the alcalde in Zorro the Gay Blade, but he's done a million things. He recently passed uh, as well, and I thought uh, their chemistry throughout the movie. Uh, was the essential thing that sold me in the movie because you saw the desperation and the frustration and the things she had to overcome, you know. And there's a great yeah. documentary, Harlan County, USA, which I did not put on my list, but well, that, they might I'm want just talking right there. I'm just saying there's a great documentary out there uh, that mm-hmm. I didn't put on my list, but is is kind of mirroring what happens with Norma Ray as well. And so I thoroughly love this movie uh, uh, and enjoyed her performance. Yeah, she's she's great. Um, she won the Oscar for this. Yes, and uh, that's the "You Really Like Me" speech for those of you out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's you know I like when I like Sally Field, I like her a lot, and then the other yeah. times the movie, it's it's she's part of a movie that I don't really care for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't really ever blame her. It's just like this isn't my cup of tea. It just mm-hmm. this wasn't made for me or our whatever. Right. Uh, but when I do like her, I like her, you know, quite a bit. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's just workers standing up for themselves, uh, unfair mm-hmm. labor conditions. Like her dad dies on the job because he can't basically take a break when he needs to take a break. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. And just to, you know, the fact that conditions were like that 40 years ago, mm-hmm. right? At this point, 50 years ago, but it doesn't seem like that long ago. It's sad. Well, it's still happening now, man. You said uh, the news yeah. story broke over, uh, today about how uh, Amazon is taking away the extra pay now for these people who are frontline workers. Uh, they've decided to take away their extra pay now, and it's like, what the crap, man? What the hell? It's, and he's he just he just became he's about to become a trillionaire for God's sakes, and here he's still nickel and diming his workforce to pieces. And unfortunately, that as as great as a country as we are for innovation and technology and advancement of incredible things that we can all have access to and discover so much about and get educated from on the other side of the coin. There are, there are so many businesses that want to nickel and dime their workers to the nth degree so that the executives and the owners can make as much money as possible. And unfortunately that's an American tradition as well. And that's what Norma Ray tackles this idea of like, how can you work us 12 hours a day without a break or with only a five minute break and not even time for lunch, only a quick lunch and then jump back on? Like, how can you do that? It's because the bosses only care about productivity because their bosses have told them you better produce this level and hit this quota or your job's out. Exactly. So it becomes a thing that rolls downhill. You know? Yeah, but then they can point to, well, it's because we have shareholders. And we need to return as much right. money to shareholders. Right. And shareholders expect so much because – you know, and there's They're another investing. business yeah. forecasting what the projected, you know, quarterly outcomes should be and their earnings estimates. And they need to hit these benchmarks. It's just a whole system of we need to squeeze as much money and products out of people as we possibly can. Yeah. So that, you know, 250 people in this world can live like kings. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. It's beyond just, kings. Beyond kings. Yeah, beyond. Beyond. Yeah. To a degree that kings of... of you know, a millennia ago, couldn't even fathom. Yeah. Yes. True. Uh, anyway, so. Normal Ray. Ron Liebman is the actor. Ron Liebman. That's yeah. his name. Who plays uh, the New York guy who comes down to unionize him. Um, all right. So what's your number seven? 
that was my seven. My six. Oh, right. What's your six? Is the punt from you with milk. Oh, wow. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, Sean Penn at his height during that run where it was this, I am Sam was trying to be Oscar bait. Yeah. Uh, and you have Mystic River. And it was like this Sean Penn juggernaut for four or five years where everything he did was un- up for contention for, you know, uh, best acting and yeah. picture. Uh, and it's a story of a politician, a gay politician in San Francisco that's basically fighting for the rights of his constituents, of other gay men, yeah. wanting their voice to be heard as opposed to marginalized. Yeah. One of the first in the country to do it as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he was the first. I don't believe so, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. Yeah, the reason it's lower on my list, Matt, is not it's not one I run back to all the time. It's not one I, I watch a lot, but I do remember that Sean Penn's performance was fantastic. Josh Brolin was great in the film as well. Emil Hirsch, uh, good. I think Chloe Savigny's in this, or or is it Maggie Gyllenhaal? One of those kind of type actresses are in this movie as well, all to you know make this happen. Real life thing in San Francisco, protesting. Uh, the unfair treatment of homosexuals in, in the city at the time and how that all stems out to his unfortunate assassination by uh, a former, not a former, I guess, but a current uh, member of the government, you know, in, in Josh Brolin's character. And so yeah. that, and that, that uh, death scene is, Oh man, it is uh, heartbreaking to watch. That's I remember that distinctly from the film, but Sean Penn won the Oscar for this. Uh, which I think uh, kind of bothers me too a little bit because I really felt that Mickey Rourke deserved it for the wrestler okay. over him. Uh, so that affects me a little bit in liking the film. But the film itself is a fantastic film. Um, I just am. I just it doesn't resonate as powerfully with me as the films that I put higher above on the list. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't. You know, in this bottom five or this movie you know this list in general mm. there aren't a whole bunch that i go back to all the time okay because of the you know the discussion of the story that is happening within it right. i do revisit them um but it's like a, you know basically there's it's not going to be any end to these anytime soon yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And i watch you know anyone that's worthwhile but i don't run back to watch selma I don't run back right, to like right. Trumbo. V for Vendetta, I do, but it's it exists in a slightly different world to me because of the action elements and all that jazz. Yes. Uh, so I, I just think the it was a story that I didn't know as opposed to uh, Selma and Trumbo. Right. Trumbo of the major players, and I knew that he was blacklisted, so I had a better idea, whereas Harvey Milk, I didn't know really anything about whatsoever. Yeah. Or Norma Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so it's a it's a very good one. Uh, John Penn is excellent in it. It's got a great cast, and uh, certainly, if you haven't seen it, it's totally worth the watch. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so that was your six, correct? So then, my seven is the punt from earlier, V for Vendetta. Okay. Um, like you, like Matt just said, it's it's one I go back to and watch over and over again. Certainly iconic for me for wearing the anonymous mask that I do in the Schmodown. That was where that's that came from. Because uh, I, w- I wore it one day for Halloween. I dressed up as V for Halloween one day, and that mask has always stayed with me. So just happened to work out that I used it to uh, be a part of the Schmodown. 
but it's because the film, you know, I, I love the book. I, I have the uh, comic books up there, the original issues of when they came out. Like I started collecting those immediately as soon as they came out uh, because of Alan Moore's involvement in it. So I have first run uh, of each of one of those things. And then I bought the uh, collected uh, versions of them for the extra art in there and stories in there. Um, so already it was a comic book that I thoroughly loved. And so I, I went into the film skeptically, uh, wondering if I was going to like it at all. And I thoroughly, thoroughly did. I thought it was well done. I thought Hugo Weaving did a fantastic job with the voice. Uh, yeah. uh, um, uh, Natalie Portman was good in the film. The, the John Hurt, who they were, who they were uh, skewering this idea of this uh, almost, uh, I wouldn't say Lord of the Flies, but almost this idea of a bloated British government that was gleefully stepping on, stepping on the neck, for lack of a better term again, uh, of the people uh, uh, below them to control them and force them into acting certain ways. And what V was doing was exposing the uh, corruption that was at the source of all of this and would not stop until uh, it uh, exposed all the corruption because he is, in essence, a creature that was created by them yeah. or a human being that was transformed by them. Uh, because they were looking to do some experiments on human beings to turn them into basically robot armies or, uh, you know, human robot armies for them to keep the peace, quote unquote. Uh, and so to see one of their things that they create destroy them, there's a certain poetic justice to that. So I, I thoroughly love the book for that, but I also enjoy the movie very much for that. Um, it's crazy to think that, was it James Purefoy? Yeah. It was originally cast as the Hugo Weaving. Right. And Hugo Weaving's voice just helps create the mystique of oh, yeah. so beautifully. It's like the synergy between the two. It's impossible for me to imagine anybody else's voice. It's like, you know, James yeah. Earl Jones and Darth Vader. <laughs> Darth Vader is nearly as good a character to me if he doesn't have that bellowing, deep, resonant voice of James Earl Jones. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So, you know, Purefoy, who I like. Yeah. It's a good actor, uh, sure. but his voice is just not what I think that character needs. So right. he turned it down because he didn't want to wear the mask all day. <laughs> That's legit. I think he shot some of it. And eventually he's like, this isn't working yeah. for me. Type of thing. Purf- uh, Purefoy has an interesting arrogance about himself. And I don't mean in a negative way. I mean, he says a, a strong sense of self-confidence, but a lot of his products, projects rather, don't become no, successful. Don't off. No. Um, and uh, Rome was his best work, in my opinion. I agree. Rome was absolutely best. I remember we I, went to see uh, Solomon Kane. I tried uh, watching it like five times, man. Dude, it's terrible. He's on Amazon forever, and everybody was like, "Oh, that's a good one." And I was like, "Okay, I like him from Rome." So I was like, "I'm, yeah. I'm down to try it." He's a good actor. Oh. First time I got like ten minutes, and then the next time I, I started the ten minute, made it another like eight minutes. It was like this movie is not good, right? Maybe if you make it to the end, you're like, yeah, it's, it's fine type of thing. I think right. the ceiling of it after I was so bored, I literally, uh, yeah. like times. Shannon and I saw it at a special screening at Comic-Con that year that they were dropping it. And James Purefoy was there and introduced the film, which was shocking. And then we watched it and I, I turned to Shannon an hour in and I was like, I can't take anymore. I can't take anymore. Let's get out of here. So I think he's gone. The director's gone. We come down the aisle and we start to walk out and there's pure foy in the, you know, where you walk to go into the theater before, but right after the lobby into the actual theater. I don't know yeah. what that's called. That little mini hallway. 
Yeah, ante room. Right? It was, like, you walk through it to get to the seats. He is standing there. He turns and looks at Shannon and I, and it feels like we've stolen something from his house. He gives us such a look because we're walking out of the movie, and he stares at us. He doesn't just glance, man. He stared right at Shannon and I, and we froze like, ah, shit. Yeah. And we just turned, threw stuff away, and just kept walking out and did not look back uh, yeah. because I'm sure he was pissed we were walking out of his movie. You know, so I think the the best case scenario is you see him and you're like, hey, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name's John. And they just keep moving. Just, hey, you know what? I like you. Um, you seem like a fine fellow. <laughs> this film just doesn't do it for me. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a phone call. Uh, <laughs> it's an emergency. Really, I got to go. But yeah, I mean, just looking to the right and seeing him there is like, oh, shit. So, um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, that would have been weird to see James Purefoy in that, in that role for sure. Um, all right. So then my number six, um, is an Irish film, Irish slash UK film called Bloody Sunday. Have you ever seen this? Who's in it? Uh, it's a bunch of people. You probably, James Nesbitt is in it. Nicholas Farrell is in it. Gerald McSorley. Oh, Those are like, like you I know, that, but I didn't think about it for this British uh, voice. I've been a big fan of James Nesbitt since Murphy's Law, which is a British TV show that he was in. He's one of the dwarfs in the Hobbit series as well. Oh uh, no, I have not seen this. I've okay. seen it before. That's why I was sparking about. I remember that this was a Paul Greengrass movie, and at the time, this is like a, this is the next year after he did uh, United ninety three, or the same year I think, uh, because that was what September eleven was two thousand one. So maybe the next the next year is this film, 2002. came out in 2002. Um, and I just remember that, you know, because Greengrass and, and Born Identity and whatever, I, I just was into Greengrass stuff. And I remember this is one of these, like, small little films that got released in one of those art house cinemas we have here in L.A. Uh, and I went to go see it. And I just absolutely loved it because Matt and I, we, Matt, you know, you, you and I have talked about it. I'm a massive Anglophile. Um, and I just, I got to go see this thing. And, of course, this is what, you two was singing when they sang Sunday, bloody Sunday. It's about this particular situation, um, you know, and it's set in Derry, Northern Ireland. And I'm sure a lot of people who are aware of this one uh, understand this one uh, and what happens. And it's, a, you know, it's about uh, these people that get caught up in the situation that's happening here between uh, the Northern Irish and the British troops that are there and the shootings that occur uh, mm-hmm. And the drama and Nesbitt is trying to control the situation from the beginning. So it's shot like almost like a mini doc. It's shot like a documentary style. Like you feel like you are right with them. It's all almost all handheld uh, and everything you feel. And there's long takes. So it feels like you're actually watching this happen in real time. And I was blown away by them, you know, because they're protesting. The fact that these uh, you know, people have been killed by the British soldiers. So it's uh, the uprising is starting to spread as the movie goes along. So you're watching how this thing all came about uh, uh, throughout the movie and why this became such a rallying cry uh, for Northern Ireland and for that uh, that song that you uh, two sings, you know. So just fantastic work from Greengrass, fantastic work from um, uh, James Nesbitt, you know. Uh, and I'm reading, I'm reading, should check Sorry. it out. It sounds good. Yeah, yeah definitely, man. It, it's good. It's uh, I say the drama shows the events of the day through the eyes of Ivan Cooper, an SDLP member of the parliament, Northern Ireland, who was a central organizer of the Northern Ireland civil rights association March in Derry. So this was a March. 
And the march ended when British Army paratroopers fired on the demonstrators, killing 13 and wounding another who died four and a half months later. In addition to the deaths, 14, uh, 14 other people were wounded. So throughout the film, he is trying to like, he senses that the unrest is ha- like this, the, the British is they're getting angrier and angrier about this mm-hmm. impending march. And then as it starts to happen, he is trying to like save who he can save and, and get in front of this and try to negotiate with the uh, members of the British uh, military there. And so it's, it's just like, it's a tragic, tragic film to watch as it slowly unravels and the people die. And when they, the shootings start, you're, he's just like at a loss to try to figure out what happened and try to, you know, avert more casualties. So it, it is a, a fantastic film. If you, as Matt said, if you haven't seen it, definitely check this out and uh, you should too, Matt. I think you'd like it actually. Yeah. I mean, it's basically the reason why, yeah, I like a good protest movie. It's good to see mm-hmm. historical examples of people standing up to what they feel is injustice and doing it through, you know, simple protest, making your voice heard. Yep. Violence on violence only gets you so far. You know, I friend the world is blind. Yeah, uh, good point. Yeah, so it sounds good. Cool. Um, all right, well, that's our both of our bottom fives. We're going to take a Correct. quick break here uh, and hear from some of our sponsors, for those of you who are listening to us on the podcast, and uh, for those of you on YouTube, uh, you'll get to enjoy this for a second. And we're back. All right. <laughs> keep it going. I like that. We should we should isolate that and just make it. Okay. That's fine. You do that and then send okay. it to me and I'll add some like mouth horns, Perfect. like a trumpet coming in every once in a while, maybe a sax. I don't know. I don't know. And then I'll send it back. <laughs> we'll figure it out. And then boom, we just got to watch the movie cycle. All perfect. Perfect. My man running through the whole percussions, through the whole woodwind instruments. I like that. I like that you're going through all the woodwinds. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. I played trombone. I respect it, man. I respect it. <laughs> all right. So what's your number five, man? Uh, my number five is the documentary you brought up, Harlan County, USA. Oh, okay. Wow. Cool. All right. Uh, well, I lived in West Virginia for eight years. Right. Right. So I had heard tale of, of the, you know, the coal miners' struggle. And then uh, I didn't see this until, you know, I was much older. But by that point, I've read several books about miners being trapped in the working conditions and just in essence, how terrible mining companies were to people. Um, you know, you lived on the miners, uh, the mining company owned your home. So you lived, you didn't have a home and they paid you in script, which you could use to buy stuff from the general store that the mining company owned, but you didn't have any actual money. So it was kind of a form of indentured servitude. You, yep. There was no way to escape this cycle of poverty and, you know, bad education, terrible health care, everything across the board. It's really difficult. It's like we, why you see when you see a movie like October Sky. Right. Genuine promise, like to get them out of West Virginia or any kind of Appalachian area uh, was difficult to do. And and so Harlan County, USA is about miners uh, striking for a fair contract for getting paid sick leave for, you know, the mines lawyers at one point come out and, and, and say that there is no incontrovertible, uh, incontrovertible proof that Coal dust causes black lung. So you basically can't hold us liable. And you're like, there's no fucking chance, man. There's no chance. Yeah. I wish we had footage of, of uh, tobacco companies 
from the 60s doing this because it'd be the exact same thing just like oh well when did the studies when did you guys figure out the studies internally and then knowingly lie to us for decades about the health implications of this and it's these people standing up but it's a lot of the 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 wives too the families it shows struggle it's embedded a reporter with them and because i grew up you know in west virginia for eight years i grew up in in clarksburg and uh like I remember writing a report about coal and I could go out uh, to this little ravine that had a Creek and we used to play down there and you could yep. find chunks of coal and shale and whatnot. Uh, and I included that as part of my report. I remember it specifically I made, cause I folded up a little envelope, made my own envelope and then I glued it to this page. And it was part of like this presentation, but I put a sliver of coal in there. Right. Um, anyway, it's, it's, so the story will resonate more like more than likely with someone like me who lived in that world for a time in his life may still yeah. live. So good just to see it's a, it's a slice of Americana from 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. Of those individuals and what they were going through. And you see how powerful the voice of wom- women are in protest movements, you know, like in Harlan County, you see a lot of these matriarchal ladies like throwing hammers down and being the, kind of the linchpin and making this all happen and also take care of their families at the same time. So it's like kind of insane to watch that. You think of coal miners, oh, you think it's men going down there, but there were women involved in this whole situation as well and how they kind of, you know, uh, pushed for things to happen and wouldn't stop, you know? And I think that's incredible to watch in that documentary. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've been down in a mine, not a coal mine, it was a copper mine once. Huh? I could not we went deep, not as deep as it goes, but we went deep. So, yeah. so that as we were going in, because we were on this little tiny train and you have to sit, and I, you know, this was just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and as we're going in, there's a final light and the conductor stops and gets off and says, anybody want to get off? And it's all adults. And one dude was like, I can't take it. Wow. Walked in. And then once you got underneath, you think about, holy shit, I'm several hundred feet underground under a mountain right now. Right. Right. And I'm only going to be here for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever. We went to like a couple of different sections and mm-hmm. got to see two different areas of different mining styles, an earlier version and then a later version. We at one point went into this huge chasm that they had dug out, but wood is holding up big chunks of it, whatnot. But it's, right. you know, as far as they can tell, structurally still sound. And you're looking at this like, oh, my God, and we're so far under the earth right now to yeah. do this every day. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, Harlan County, USA, it uh, won the Oscar. It's a documentary. Yeah. I think it's like a, a buck 40. It's not too long. Um, it's super interesting, especially to me, but that's yeah. my five. It's well worth your time, dude. Absolutely. Uh, my five is do the right thing. Um, oh, that's my four. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, the, I mean, it doesn't start out as a protest, but becomes a protest by the end of the film. Uh, but you sense the bubbling racial tensions, obviously, throughout the movie. Um, this is, to me, I think this is the, it's tough to say. It's, I don't think it's the greatest Spike Lee film he's ever directed, but I think it's the most powerful film he's ever directed. Um, and by that, I mean it is good from back to front, front to back, and the message that it sends you 
is uh, will stay with you forever. And that's why I think, you know, people, the police and everybody overreacted to this film coming out, thought there was going to be like race wars in the theater because of this combustible notion that you might show that police brutality does happen in real life, you know, or in the world rather. And of course, police were afraid, you know, oh, people are going to get ups- upset, blah, blah, blah. And there's going to be fights in this, but none of that materialized, just like Joker. None of that bullshit materialized. Uh, it was like a film that just showed you what can happen uh, and what factors are involved to that lead to something tragic like this, you know? Yeah. And uh, the reaction from the older, from Ruby D and from Ozzie Davis, when it happens, when what happens to Radio Raheem happens, that's where I cry every time because those are uh, the cries from two actors who actually marched with MLK, who probably yeah. actually saw. I mean, uh, Ozzie Davis gave that great eulogy to Malcolm X, which we hear later on in the film of Malcolm X, uh, and he was a friend with Malcolm X. So the, the cries of both of them, and especially uh, uh, Ruby D in that moment, is from generations of seeing this happen, descendants telling you from slavery days on what they experienced at the hands of white people in power. Yeah. And so it's incredible when you watch the movie throughout and yeah, you've got the great characters like bugging out and Martin Lawrence's character and the, you know, what Ozzie Davis does initially as you know, the, uh, the mayor uh, all. And of course, uh, uh, Spike Lee's character uh, and Danny Aiello and Torturo and all them, all characters. Cool. But when that moment happened, it just shows you that even in the world like that, that is a very bright world. Everyone has like really bright colors for the most part. You still have this simmering racial tension that can lead to a tragic moment like that, that isn't intended to be tragic, but becomes tragic because uh, a person can't let go of a certain situation. And it's just like, wow, man, you know, and I don't mean Radio Raheem either. I mean the cop. So, yeah, it's uh, a powerful, powerful film. Yeah, it is. I, you know, um, just think. You know, what, what happens to Radio Rahim? Mm. Like, so known within culture that right. it's almost it's been used as a joke before. Like, there's one from uh, Fresh Prince that's been floating around for the past week. That oh I've yeah, where uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff is getting on the witness stand. And Uncle Phil tells him, Jeff, you can put your hands down now. And he was like, uh, I don't think so, because he's he's got a gun. And all of a sudden, like, I was what resisting arrest and got shot in the back six times. Yeah. Like, you know, thing it's meant as a joke, but sadly right. one of those, it's you know, it's funny because it's true. Yeah. Uh yeah. just the tragedy of the entire sequence is so commonplace. Yeah. That you you're almost immune to it on some level. Yeah. 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 But this was the first time you'd seen this in a film, like really seen this in a film. And this is, you know, Spike, this is, I think this is third film because what he'd done, she's got to have it. And then school days, if I remember correctly. I thought school days was after this. I feel like school days is between them. Okay. Between. She's got to have it. I'm not that big a fan of. No, no. Because this first film, you know, it's It's, not like. It just really slow. Yeah, it's not like uh, Reservoir Dogs for Quentin. Like, that's a great yeah, first film to have. That rarely happens. Yeah, yeah. When she's got to have it. Yeah, check it out. I think School Days is between she's got to have it and, and uh, do the right thing. I think. Come on, Spike. IMDb. 
Come on, Spike. Daddy needs a new parachute. Uh, Lassa, uh, she's got to have it. Yep, school days is in between. Yeah, I had a feeling. If I remember mine, if I have a good memory, I remember it being in between. And I remember school days was, because she's got to have it. A lot of people enjoyed it at the time. So this is a new filmmaker. This, he's announced his presence. It's an independent filmmaker. You've got to listen. He's black. you got to listen to him. And this is the 80s, by the way. And then, uh, tail end of the 80s. And then... She's got a, a school days comes out and people were like, uh, they, it wasn't received as powerfully by some as others. And then do the right thing came out. And that was the one that it was like, oh, shit, Spike Lee, you know, yeah, because uh, school days is so about like the idea that exists within the black community of like, if you're lighter skinned, somehow you get more preferential treatment than if you're darker skinned. And so it's an expert it happens in the Latino community as well. This kind of. Uh, white Latino versus dark Latino, that kind of shit happens, you know? So, um, but this is one that just uh, do the right thing. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. What more can I say, man? It's just like yeah, it's I know. a resonant film, bro. Uh, so that's my four. What's your four? Uh, my four is Gandhi. Uh, I hadn't thought about that as yeah. Of course yeah. it's a protest film. Yep. yep. All right. Well, I'm, I'll bump one off my list. Gandhi makes mine. Okay. I, yeah, I put it at the three four range. Oh, really? Okay. Gandhi's good, man. Yeah, I know I it find, is. You know, I thought. Yeah. After you had been, you know, talking it up for years, I wasn't hesitant to. It's just, it's one of many movies. Of course, of course. You haven't seen. Yeah. And it is. It's about social protest. What kills me is the end when he's lying in that daybed and people are just out on rooftops, like just trying to yeah. to be around him. Yeah. A hunger strike in this emaciated, but he is. The spirit of a people, and you see it, and this is a true story, and it's all through nonviolent, just trying to change the way people view themselves and society views them. Yeah, and this so is a, it's very akin to Citizen Kane, in one way, and that is this is Ben Kingsley's first film. He's the lead of this thing. It's a almost three hour epic. He's twenty six years old when he is playing Gandhi, all the way to when Gandhi is. You know, uh, an old man who who gets assassinated, like uh, Wells is when he plays Charles Foster Kane all the way to the end. And so it's just it's to me, it was the first time I'd seen someone do that. And I think there's three instances in my mind that stick around. It's him. It's the actor who played uh, King Arthur in Excalibur. So convincing when he's young, just as convincing when he's old. And I think with Kane, it's the same thing. And with Gandhi, it's the same thing. Those are the three that really stick out for me when I think about performances that span multiple years and you see someone go from a young man into an old man and it's incredibly believable uh and yeah. he's fantastic and the film is engrossing as hell and uh, some people call it boring i think you're insane uh richard attenborough has directs a masterpiece here and people yeah. kind of make fun of it and denigrate it but it is a brilliant brilliant film with phenomenal performances and storylines that twist and turn uh in ways you don't expect you know, the, the issues with him and his wife at times at uh, this chain, this, it isn't, he isn't deified in the movie. He's shown as a man who is kind of trying to do the right thing. But even when he starts to do the right thing, you know, there is some kind of, that every people have to change, including him with his understanding of not everyone is going to be as, as zealous about it as you are. Uh, and you have to kind of understand that and build within the movement. And then, of course, the movement splinters because once you give people power, 
for self-determination, then there are people who push back and go, well, I don't want to have self-determination as he deems my self-determination. I want my own self-determination without remembering or factoring in the fact that he gave you the chance to even have any self-determination. So it's, it's great how it explores all of that uh, throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the pace kind of represents how someone becomes a cultural figure at that time in world history. And it's slow. Yeah. It's not like he's out campaigning for fame. Right. Right. Notoriety. He's just out to try and change society. And that is yeah. a slow process. Um, you know, cause you have to, you have to reach out. There needs to be personal connection on, on an issue like this. Yeah that you can tie a face to the situation and to the problem. And it makes it much more difficult to turn a blind eye to it. Yep. Uh, yeah. Gandhi, it's, it's excellent. I think it's fully justified at that kind of length. Yep. Like once you see it to tell the story of a life like this, it's impressive and it's, that they did it in that short amount of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause it spans the entirety. They start from when he's a young man to when <laughs> he finishes uh, his time. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good call. What's your uh, What's your number three? My three is uh, Hunger, the Fastbender. Oh, yeah. Good. That's my number three. Good choice, man. Uh, it is a good choice. It's the, when it's him and what's his name from Star Trek Next Generation, uh, the Irish actor. Oh, yeah, Cole Meany. Yep, Cole Meany. And they're just sitting across from each other talking. Undeniably riveting, and it's just two men talking, and they're having a discussion yep. about why they're doing this. Like it's a coded discussion at sometimes, and other times it's overt. But why you're doing it? The fact that this has failed in the past. What makes this different? I love that he opens talking about Cole Meany's more successful brother within the you know the pre- <laughs> right. Uh, but he's here trying to affect real change, you know, boots on the ground type of uh, change. Yeah. Being on the front lines of it, um, like the the lineup when it almost looks like a bad fraternity hazing, and all the cops are in a line, and they just one by one throw IRA members oh. down, and they all just pummel them until basically it's you need to get to the other side, and you're just getting the shit kicked out of you. Yeah, man. Uh, for no other reason than a disagreement of uh, opinion, and who has the right to rule, and we don't believe you do. We are our own sovereign people, and the yeah. British government not really enjoying that kind of opinion uh yeah, yeah it's, it's a brutal dark movie it's good though it's amazing how much anger people can have in positions of power and what they i mean like you know like the whole thing that happens to him and the, the way they treat him i mean throwing him in that cell naked and with just a blanket and um everything that they try to do to get i'm like in the name of the father covers this as well this idea of like you know the as soon as you're labeled a certain way, it's like these at the time, these English prison guards felt that they could do whatever they want to. Yeah, you're never uh, going to be able to, to wipe that clean. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And, you know, it's and it's funny. We just talked about Gandhi's the idea of the hunger strike. Like you were mentioning, same thing here, right? This hunger strike that kind yeah. of sparks uh, this uh, revolution or this fight back. Uh, and that will, that will get the public's attention. Like, yeah. I ended a prison only works if it's Attica. Right. right. Whereas hunger strike, uh, who can't identify with what the feeling of being hungry is and then basically seeing the waste uh, of a human individual after they deprive themselves of this for a political ideal. Um, yeah. 
in a human moralistic right to them. It's yeah, it's good. Yeah. But Fastbender, it's I, I wish we got more Fastbender and really good movies, but we Bro. just get Fastbender shit. And his career is not going to last long. Yeah, you're so you're so right, man. You couldn't be more I'm right so- about something because he is such an excellent, excellent actor. He is. Um, Dude, Magneto is so good. Yeah, true. That, that scene with the knife against the Nazis. Yeah. Oh. So captivating because it looks like he is like getting retribution. Yeah. For the almost cartoonish scene before when he, you know, he's in uh, a concentration camp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then to take it into this, which should be cartoonish, making a knife fly around and looks so real because of the determination. Mm-hmm. Revenge in his eyes is honest. And you're like, where did this come from? Jesus Christ, this is a comic book movie. <laughs> uh, he brings that intensity, yeah. you know, to hunger. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Colmini, he's good. Uh, Colmini's always good. Yeah, right? I know. Like, he just seems like a likable dude. He's always yep. good. I like him in everything he's ever been in. He's one of my favorite parts of Next Generation. I wish yep. he got more. He's great uh, in the commitments. Yeah, he's great uh, in the commitments. It's he's so funny. Great. And... Um, Oh shoot! I'll never, I'll never pull it. Does what's it? it? What's it about? British crime movie uh, that has to do with layer cake. Layer cake, yeah. Layer cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, he did a he did a great little quiet film. I think it's called The Van. Where it's it's an Irish small a small Irish mm-hmm. film where his daughter gets pregnant when she's sixteen, and he has to like kind of deal with it. Uh, okay. And he is, it's such an interesting look for him. Cause he always plays like, you know, like in Con Air, he always plays the brusque kind of dude. Yeah. And every once in a while he gets to play like a regular vulnerable dad, like he does in the commitments. And this is, he, this film is even, it's like chef. It's almost like chef where it's just this journey with him and his daughter. And of course the other family members, but like him and his daughter having this journey together, like how he is going to change his anger at her having this happen to her into being a supportive father to help her through this process and the stuff and the kind of guff he takes from the other dudes, uh, uh, his other fellow Irish uh, tough guys uh, in that thing. So, I mean, he does such great work in so many films, man. It's, yeah. he's just such a great character actor and he'll never win an Oscar. He'll never no. win a fucking Emmy or a Golden he's, Globe. And it's a shame. He's got to be jealous of, or not jealous, but envious of uh, Don Hall Gleason's. Or Brendan Gleason. <laughs> Brendan Gleason, right. Yeah, not Don Hall's son, right. but Brendan Gleason. It's, you know, they're two excellent actors, but I can yeah. easily say, "Oh, I could, you know, I could see bringing in uh, him to read for this." Like, yeah, and numerous of his. I yeah. still like Brendan Gleeson, though, so I'm glad he got the parts he got. True, true. As well. uh, what's your number two? So those are three. Our my two is Cry Freedom. Oh, the Stephen Biko film. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With okay. uh, uh, Denzel yep. and Kevin Kline. Yeah, good film, man. Good film. Um, well, it's about South African apartheid, and uh, at this point, Nelson Mandela's already in jail, and Biko's yeah, just a, a guy raising the same points. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kevin Klein plays uh, the editor of the paper where he lives, and the two of them find each other. Kevin Klein's character has heard of Biko, and Biko has kind of reached out to him, and they form a, a friendship. And then Biko gets killed by the police, he gets taken into custody, custody, but gets. Yeah eaten within an inch of his life and then they take him to the hospital too late and he succumbs to his wounds. Yep. It's about Kevin Klein then wanting needing to write his story so that as he puts it, his name doesn't die with him. Yeah. Just buried in the ground by the South African government because it's the voices of the story, the people that go through it that pay the highest toll that yeah. help change 
you know, uh, turn the tide of this. And uh, by Kevin Klein then having to get out of the country, the South African government trying to stop him. And it's a slow build. Like you could take this more to Argo level where there's more tension and whatnot. And they have tension in certain moments, but it's more human. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The friendships and the relationships that you build with it, your community. Right. Um, and what you view as your community. Just Well, and also how this corruption. And by the way, it's kind of crazy, Matt, to be in 2020 and go back and watch these films. Because so much changed once people got sick of it once once enough people got sick of apartheid it was overturned quickly like quickly uh and um all these people had to you know they had these councils with desmond tutu and mandela these like uh i don't know what they call those councils but where they they came and like they called everybody out for what they did retribution councils and yeah. I think people were able to come, family members were able to come and like yell at the, at the guards or yell at the people who imprisoned their family members and doomed them to death uh, in those prisons uh, for just yeah. speaking out against apartheid. Imagine that, be, being jailed, Matt, for having an issue with how a racist policies being administered in your country. Yeah. How ironic, you know? The and, end of the movie is... <laughs> So it was like the early 60s, South Africa made uh, imprisonment. They didn't yeah. have a reason, so they could imprison anybody for whatever they chose. Right. In law. So the people that got imprisoned for, for standing up to apartheid, they do a scroll of the list of yeah. the date of death, the individual's uh, first initial and last name, and then the, the explanation of how they died. And it's hang, you know, uh, suicide by hanging, suicide by hanging, fell down seven floors of fell down the stairs, no official, you know, and it just keeps going. It's the same ludicrous excuse or no excuse at all. Yeah. Over and over again for 20 some odd years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a scroll of names. It's like, here's people. They just, here's the ones we have official records that we know they killed, but you know, it all stems from Bicko. So that's what I like about it. At the end of the movie then goes back to the reason this was all set in place was the cops opened up on a peaceable protest and killed 700, I think, kids or something. Yep. I don't know since I, I, I've seen it, but so how, who, what community, what, what group of individuals, what humans wouldn't get pissed off? Yeah. 700 kids or 700 people. I know the number 700 was in there. Yeah. But kids, women, children, men, didn't matter, indiscriminately, the elderly, the infirmed, if you were in that crowd, we're just opening up gunfire on you because this is an illegal protest, even though all they're saying is we want our voice to be heard. The injustice of this country is, you know, is not right. Um, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think never in the history of the Western world has a dictatorship been able to keep people down. Eventually, people revolt. And no matter what, well, democracy or not democracy, eventually they revolt. And the dictators always think, if I keep killing them, they won't come after me or I'll be able to keep them control. Them. I'll fear yeah. them. I'll scare them into, but the human spirit is indomitable, man. It is indomitable. It will fight. It will stay alive. It's a survival instinct that kicks in. And once it identifies you as the thing that could threaten its life, then all in a, as a collective people fight back in uh, one form or another, and they keep coming. And no dictators ever survived that. 
in the Western world, in my uh, if looking at history. So yeah, yeah, but now we have better ways to keep people in line, and we can track them, and we've got sure, sure, sure. But all it takes is one hacker to like uh, be on the right side and completely demolish all of that and exposed expose all their emails, their text messages, their interactions. I mean, we just saw it uh, on in sports. Uh, that quarterback from Georgia, Jake Fromm, someone released his text messages with a friend of his, and he I said, "Yeah, he said only elite white people should own guns." So today he spent all day like apologizing this, and that's like anybody wow. can hack your shit, man. Yeah, you don't have a job. <laughs> he's the he's the backup I, in Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't get it. I thought it was Allen. So they drafted another quarterback. I haven't really paid attention. Yeah, Josh Allen is is their starting quarterback. Starter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think they picked up Fromm as a backup. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's a rookie QB. Here we go. Yeah, it's uh, all the Drew Brees stuff. Yeah. Kind of hard to miss. Oh, that. the Drew Brees stuff was. <laughs> but he said, uh, Fromm wrote, "But no guns are good. They need to let me get suppressors. Just make them very expensive, so only elite white people can get them." Ha, ha, ha. Now, it's a strong statement to make. But uh, certainly Chris Rock made it in a stand-up saying they can sell all the guns they want, but they should make the bullets $500 a bullet. Yeah, exactly. And it could be one of those things of it was genuinely a joke. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, I am going so far right wing, you know that I'm not like this. That's what makes it fun. (laughs) Exactly. I make those jokes all the time. Like, with my friends, I'll text them. Dear God, if they got a hold of my text, like there's all kinds of stuff. That, <laughs> if you take it out of context, paints me as the most evil person. <laughs> Nothing makes me laugh harder than going yeah. and spouting everything that I think is utterly wrong. Just being like, that's my view. Kind of like, <laughs> you know, like it or lump it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe he is. Right. My favorite is uh, Bosa on San Fran when people were going at him on Twitter. Oh, really? Well, just because he's a, an ardent Trump supporter. Yes, he is. And just uh, just people making jokes type of thing. Like uh, when when San Fran did blackout and they just put a, a black thing up. It's like, oh, you know, breaking news. Bosa's demanded a trade from the San Francisco 49ers type of thing. It's a joke. <laughs> it's funny, though. It's funny. It's funny. It is. I've seen a few. Where it's like, that's a, that's a good joke. Fair enough. Um. Uh, my number two is uh, back to our list. My number two is <clears throat> one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Okay, do you? Yeah, that's a protest, right? As a smaller thing, it's a protest. Uh, the film itself is to symbolize what is happening in the seventies. This idea of an authoritarian regime, uh, you know, um, trying to force people to believe they're crazy, right, and not allow certain people to have rights in situations. So, I mean, the film is an allegory for what was happening at the time in the seventies with Vietnam and other things that, you know, Nixon and all of that into the early seventies. So this idea of like trying to keep people down. You know? So uh, I, I see it as a protest film because he's protesting the conditions in that mental asylum, in that mental yeah. ward. Sure. And he's, and he's trying to rally people to protest and they do protest. They do try to overturn things there. Uh, with Nurse Ratchet, uh, Louise Fletcher, who is chilling in that role, 
Um, they try yeah. to stop her, uh, but you know what happens in the end happens in the end, and the tragedy that happens as well, the double tragedy, to be honest with you, that happens in that movie. Uh, uh, one heartbreaking uh, and one just ultimately incredibly sad. Um, uh, you know, so to me, that's I see it as a protest movie because it's about this idea of like breaking, trying to break free from an authoritarian regime and how futile it could possibly be because they do have all the power. They do have a way to keep you down and they can turn people against you who were formerly with you. Yeah. Um, and they have the means with which to, you know, turn you essentially into a docile uh, worker marching into the factory like Metropolis, uh, which is what happens throughout the film. So I, I put it in, in that level. And I, and I, I think the film's incredible. Yeah. Which is why I put it this high as well. So, and, you know, it is a pro, they are protesting mm. and for what they feel are their rights. Yeah. Yeah. I, out of it like that. People can be mad at me for it, but it's just how I feel. Uh, I can't imagine someone will be. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, so what's your number one? Uh, my number one is Malcolm X. Same here. No, number one. Hell yeah. Because it opened my eyes to a perspective that I didn't... I knew, but I didn't know that side of yeah. the issue. Uh, because as a white kid, you know, I'm taught Martin Luther King. I know about Dr. King and the peaceful protests and all that, and then I knew the Black Panthers, but Malcolm X has nothing to do with that. But what I was kind of, I don't want to say I was educated with, perhaps shielded from or just not taught, was there's an, a completely other side of that argument that on some level is just as valid. Yeah. Like if you keep getting punched, you, you're just never going to punch back. I can't, it doesn't seem human. So yeah. as you become an adult and you look at like, Malcolm X's change from, you know, this kid, he gets into to stealing and thievery and whatnot, and then goes to jail and then joins the Nation of Islam. And then why, like, he, he bristled at it at first and then eventually yeah. kind of began to understand what they were selling. Yeah. I'm not saying selling it a bad thing, but just that's what you're at. When you're proselytizing, you're salesman yeah. for your religion. And, Absolutely. But he falls for Elijah Muhammad and holds him up to what he shouldn't be, which you basically made him infallible and he's yeah. human. So of course he's going to be fallible. And when he goes to Mecca afterwards to see that we're all one yeah. people and you've been helped leading the protest. Now you can come back and be, I don't know, more educated and wizened and mm-hmm. take with your life experiences and help us all grow past this. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's, it's a hell of a movie. Well, you know, for too long in the country and like you, man, I, I, I read the book. Uh, and then you watch the movie, you know, it's autobiography from Alex Haley in high school, you know, and then you watch the movie and you're right. The movie is the thing that really kind of, when you watch the movie, you're like, wait a minute, I've been told by the mainstream presentation of numerous people that Malcolm X was an angry black man who advocated the radical, who advocated the killing of white people. They wanted to pipe bomb every white assembly type of, it was the, Same thing exactly. that Louis Farrakhan when I was really younger. Right. You know, did their saber rattling about him. Right. And then you go and study his history and you go, yeah, he was angry at the year or the, the decades of racism and oppression that was happening to him, seeing it through numerous people in his life and then seeing it, hearing it from stories 
and getting into the nation of Islam. And the nation of Islam was trying to restore black pride to once again a, a race of people that had been turned into this docile people like what you was talking about with the one flow of the cuckoo's nest. Docile people who were beaten into submission, attacked by dogs, had uh, uh, you know uh, hoses turned on them. And he was trying to restore pride back. Now, Elijah, of course, flawed leader, all of that stuff, sleeping with those young girls, having the baby, yeah. that's aside. But you see that Malcolm X, like every other human being with half a rational brain, progresses and changes his points of views. And by the end, he understands that there are good and black people, there are good and bad white people. And his door, his perception of the world is more wide open. Why? Because he traveled. Because he saw the world. He saw different races. He saw different cultures. And so his mind was expanded. Um, and that is so essential to understanding his transition, his change, his evolution as a human being, as a leader. And so, to, and so his death, when you read about it, when you watch it in the movie, is just as tragic for me as MLK's death, in, in my opinion. Um, because his well, evolution could have served as an even more powerful tool to show people that you can start with anger, but you can move into peace. And that's yeah, important. It could have been a, a great catalyst for change. Yes. Yeah. It could have been, you know, one of the voices, the true voices of his generation that yeah. posthumously I think has grown. Yes. Um, it speaks to the power of, of, you know, art like this. You can entertain and educate. Yeah. You, you help change and better uh, fill out my understanding of the world, you know, at large. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, it's, you know, the, is the movie perfect? No, but what no, movie is? Right, right, right. Uh, but Denzel is fantastic, and this is Spike's best work, in my opinion. Mm. Um, so, anyway. Certainly his most accomplished work. I would agree with you on that, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, there's our separate uh, top ten lists. Uh, we are now going to combine the lists um, as I bring down the bongos. All righty. Start right now. So Malcolm X, number one. One of our fans gave us those alien loaders. Gave me the alien loaders. Alien loaders? Yeah, okay. from Alien. Just mentioning that. So, oh. Uh, he tweeted about it, so letting him know it is on my shelf. It's always on my shelf. Let's see. We both don't have each other's number two, but we have Hunger at three. Yeah. So I would say Hunger goes to two. Okay. Probably do the right thing. All right. Yeah, yeah. And what about Gandhi? Oh, yeah. Gandhi's my four. Where do you put it now in your list? Um, I think I would put it four. Where do you have do the right thing? Five. Okay. So then it goes Gandhi, then do the right thing. Okay. All right, so do you want to address our number twos? Yeah, what's your number two again? Cry Freedom, and yours is Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah. Why don't you choose on this one? What I mean, Cuckoo's Nest is a better movie. Right. But you think, but Cry Freedom, is there any protests at all in Cry Freedom? There's just well, yeah, they're doing the, the speeches, right? Well, no, there's the protest that they show where the people all got killed. Right. It sparked Biko to basically become a, a louder voice. Right, right, right. The community. So, yeah. So there's more of a protest in that sense than anything Cuckoo's Nest has. Okay, fair. All right. It's a good film. 
I remember Peter Gabriel's song for it. Pico, Pico. All right. Uh, we both have uh, Milk and Norma Ray and Selma. Okay. Where'd you have Milk again? Uh, 10. So 610. Norma, so Norma Ray. Okay. Where'd you have Selma? Nine. All right. So then I would say Milk. Selma V for Vendetta. Okay. And we're done. Damn. That was great. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. The top 10 protest films. Yeah. At number 10. V for Vendetta. At number nine. Selma. At number eight. Milk. At number seven. Norma Ray. At number six. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. At number five, Cry Freedom. At number four, Do the Right Thing. At number three, Gandhi. At number two, Hunger. And our number one protest film is Malcolm X. I am Malcolm X. I love that movie. Love that ending, too. Uh, well, there you go. That's our uh, official list of the top 10 protest films from the top 10 show. Thank you all so much for listening to us or watching us. If you're watching us on the YouTube channel, thank you so much. And I hope we, you know, gave you the mixture of entertainment and education uh, today and maybe even distracted you from a lot of the madness going on out there and entertained you for a while and put a smile on your face or uh, kind of lightened your load a little bit. You know, we love doing the show. Uh, together and we love um, you know making you guys laugh and helping you guys uh, just kind of deal with your daily lives so many of you have reached out to us over the years and told us how we kind of helped you through tough times so hopefully we're doing that again uh, with our show this week um, yeah uh, you know stay safe out there even more so yeah take precautions when and where you can please and, do uh, you know um, we have I guess I guess we should say this Starting next month, we're going to have our, our show. Uh, we're still working on a name for it, but the basically, in essence, is Top Ten Jeopardy, and the winner of the overall tournament gets to be a guest on the show. And uh, you can you can find out about it over at patreon.com forward slash the top 10 with the number 10, but it's a $20 and up tier. You'll be interested because we're um, retiring for now, the relist. So we're trying to do – we're going to do this in its place. Hopefully you guys like it. And, uh, yeah. It shows out of it, and ultimately somebody gets to be a guest on the show, so it should be fun for everybody. And, you can follow me anywhere at Matt Nost, and uh, that's it for me this yeah. week. Okay. You can follow me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, don't forget to uh, come over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca Says. Uh, doing a lot of content concerning all this stuff this week. You know, no, I never shy away from the tough issues. So we do uh, talk about all that this week. So please uh, swing on over there. And if, you, and if you're just listening to us on the podcast and you want to watch our pretty faces, go over to our YouTube channel, uh, The Top Ten. Find The Top Ten. You'll see our logo. Uh, and you see Matt and I there, so please uh, go and subscribe to that as we explore turning that into uh, making some uh, uh, money off of as well, uh, you know, getting that monetized. So please get involved there. So thank you all so much. Uh, and as Matt said, please take care of yourselves. Please be safe out there. Exercise your right, your freedom of speech, absolutely. But please be careful out there because uh, we all want to see you back next week for another episode of the Top Ten Show. Take care until then. 